experts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. It's hard to believe the market is where it is. I had told you a couple of months ago that the market would be back at 3000 by now, you would have thought I was crazy. Heck, I would have thought I was a little bit crazy. But here we are. The last two months, April and May, were the strongest monthly back-to-back gains we've seen since 2009. It's hard to tell where we stand from a fundamental standpoint because the numbers are just so bad and backward-looking. The economists are telling us that they're expecting the economy to bottom sometime this quarter, and we should see some modest gains in the third and fourth quarters. This, of course, is because we're coming out of full lockdown, and you would expect those economic indicators to get better as more businesses open and people start to get back to work. I think the real reason why the market is where it is is because the fiscal and monetary response that we've had. They've just flooded the system with cash, and that cash has to go somewhere. And that somewhere is stocks. It's not going to buy 1% bonds. And the Fed is going to continue to backstop, uh, backstop the market until growth can take back over. There's an old saying, don't fight the Fed. And this has been a good example of that. From a technical standpoint, things are looking better. Over the past two weeks, the rally has broadened out. Before then, it was just a couple of, of, uh, or a handful of companies doing all the heavy lifting. But now we're seeing the small and mid cap stocks coming alive, along with the cyclical sectors like the financials. Financials were up 6.5% last week versus 3.2% for the SP 500. This is important for two reasons. First, narrow rallies, meaning those led by a few names, aren't usually sustainable. And number two, cyclical stocks tend to lead the markets higher because they react to positive trends in economic growth. My guess now is about the same as it was on the last show a couple of weeks ago, meaning I think we spend some time consolidating uh, consolidating our gains here. Last week, we did break above the 3,000 mark on the S&P 500, and that was a key resistance level. So now it flips over and becomes a point of support. I will say that there's an increasing chance of a correction. If we get one, I think it'll be limited, maybe a 5-10% drawdown. As far as specific names I like, I mentioned USB, US Bancor on the last show. And I think that's one that can still be bought here. Any of the high quality banks, really, USB being my favorite, and City Group, symbol C, that's being my least favorite. I do want to say that the one thing this pandemic should have taught us as investors is that we should have a good plan in place. It's one of the first things that we do when someone becomes a client. If you don't have one, well, give us a call. The number is 571-261-7670. And this is really, really important. I saw a survey done by Schwab a while back, and according to them, only about 25% of Americans have a written financial plan. And I would suspect that that number is probably even a little bit high. There are some very good reasons for this. Number one, 
a lot of people feel that doing a plan wouldn't benefit them in any way. For a lot of folks, the plan is just trying to stay out of debt for this year. We've all heard the or heard or seen the statistics on the number of people who are living paycheck to paycheck, and they think that planning is just for the wealthy. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. In my opinion, a written plan can help almost everyone. And that's because I think that people who have a written plan tend to have a greater financial discipline and better money habits. It's like having that workout, buddy. It's Wednesday. So I have to go meet so-and-so for that walk or run around the park. You know, I can't bail on that because they hold me accountable. They keep me on track. According to that same poll, the planners versus the non-planners, you guessed it, the planners are twice as likely to pay their bills on time and save every month as opposed to the non-planners. And then you have some people who are, well, they're just afraid. It's like going to the doctor or the dentist. They, they don't want to know what's wrong. They don't want to make the choices or the remedies or the lifestyle changes that might be necessary. People practice avoidance, hoping whatever it is will go away or fix itself. And I could go on for an hour on why people don't plan, but the bottom line is you should have one. If you're building a house, well, you're going to get blueprints. If you're going to run a marathon or something like that, well, you probably are going to come, come up with a training plan. You just don't wing these things. Getting started isn't that hard. You just need to take that first step. Some of you need a more comprehensive plan and others don't. Let's be clear here. Participating in your company's 401 or starting an IRA is not a plan. It's a start, but it's not a plan. The basic idea is, is you want to find out where you are and where you want to be in the future. And then the plan figures out how to get you there. Now, do you need a planner or, or an advisor? Not necessarily. That's probably not what you expected to hear from an advisor like myself. But the reality is, is not everyone needs an advisor. If you love this stuff and you've worked in finance for a while, you may not need someone like me. If you're just starting out and saving and investing, things can be set on autopilot, meaning you live within your means, you contribute to your 401k, you build up your emergency savings, the common sense stuff. But as time goes on and things get more complicated, you may want to consider using a planner or an advisor. A good advisor who's working with you on the planning side as well as the investing side can be worth way more than the expense. That's what you're really seeking is value. I know a lot of folks are saying, I'm just going to do it myself instead of paying someone as opposed to looking at the value that person might provide. You've heard of Vanguard, right? The company that legendary John Bogle was the founder of, home of the index fund. Well, a study by Vanguard says an advisor can add about 3% a year in value. Think about that for a second. Vanguard is saying an advisor can add about 3% a year. That's a lot different than some big brokerage firm saying, oh, you know, we can we add value. That's just talking their book. No, this is Vanguard telling you this. And a lot of that estimated return comes in the form of what they call coaching. 
the advice side, especially when markets get volatile, both to the, the upside and the downside, because basically the average investor just doesn't get good results over time. And at least according to Dalbar, Dalbar has been measuring this stuff ever since 1994. They've consistently shown that the average equity investor underperforms the S&P 500 consistently. Why? The simple reason is they bought and sold at the wrong time, along with a couple of other factors. A plan and a good advisor can help you from making those types of emotional mistakes. Now, let me say, I don't completely agree with the numbers that Dalbar puts out. What I mean is, yes, the numbers are the numbers, but the way they look at it is, well, just not how life works. We didn't all put $10,000 into the S&P 500 on January 1st, 10 or 20 years ago and held on. No, we saved along the way. We bought a house, so we took some money out. Then we saved some more. Now we have the college expenses coming up. So we're going to take some out now. You know, life happens. But I think Dalbar's numbers do a really good job at showing us a trend. And Morningstar tells us basically the same thing that Vanguard does. Morningstar says a good advisor can add about a percent and a half a year because, and, and I'll quote them, as investors, emotions can be our worst enemy especially when the markets are volatile and guidance from a behavioral coach can save us from the panic selling and abandoning long-term financial plans. So I'm convinced the best thing you can do for yourself and your family is to have a plan in place. And if the situation is right, use an advisor. So let's assume that you're stepping up and you're going to do some planning. I want you to be aware of some of the slip-ups that I see people make when they're putting together a plan. And let's be clear. As I said before, participating in your company's 401k or opening an IRA is not a plan. It's a start, but it's not a plan. Most people never really map out how much money they'll need in retirement or develop a real asset allocation. And I'll tell you, the smart savers figure out what they'll need. They'll define their savings and goals, and then they'll develop a plan to reach that goal. Having a plan is a must, in my opinion. It doesn't matter your age. So the first slip up is just not having a real plan. Number two is having too little in stocks. This comes down to asset allocation. Hey, we're living longer. We're exercising. We're trying to eat healthier. We're taking our meds. It's not uncommon to spend a third of your life in retirement. And I don't think the old rules of thumbs that we used to use work so well now. I think having a solid plan will help you come up with a reasonable asset allocation. And I think that means having more in stocks than in decades past. Let me, let me come up with number three here, underestimating your life expectancy. Assuming life expectancy of 95 as part of your financial plan, I think is not only realistic, but it's increasingly common. You never want the success of your plan dependent on you dying too young. So estimate a longer life. Number four, it's, this really comes down to being realistic. 
you, you won't be doing yourself any favors by overestimating your potential returns or underestimating your spending in retirement years. Right now, I mean, you look at it and say, okay, well, over the last 10 years or five years or what have you, I got 10% a year. So I'm going to use that number going forward. That's probably not realistic. I want you to be realistic. I want you to plan conservatively and adjust your plan as you go. And I see this all the time where someone is getting ready to retire and they project that their spending is going to be a straight line, you know, $100,000 a year or whatever that number is. And from my experience, it, it just doesn't work like that. First, you have the go-go years when you retire, where you're doing all the things that you've wanted to do. You're traveling, you're picking up new hobbies. And as time goes on, well, we slow down. And that's what I call the slow-go years. And then later on, it's the no-go years. Really, the only place you're going is to the doctors. The point here is that retirement spending isn't a straight line. So don't plan like it is. And that's why updating your plan every year is important. Number five, and this one's a hard one, being too generous, as I call it. It's hard to say no, but you don't want to blow your retirement funds on being too generous with your adult children. I would suggest you think long and hard about how much you can realistically afford to contribute towards a down payment on a house or a huge wedding, or even paying for reoccurring expenses like cell phones and car insurance. Let me give you a couple more real quick because I'm running out of time here. Number six is health insurance. Supplemental health insurance policies like Medigap or long-term care, they can be expensive. It can be a significant expense, but like any insurance, it's important to have adequate coverage to insure against an even costlier risk. Not having insurance doesn't make the risk go away. And then the last one, there, there are plenty more. I just can't do them all in one show. But the last one for today is making sure you follow the tax rules, right? Tax mistakes can eat up a big chunk of your savings. If you switch jobs and you have a 401k, an old 401k, thinking about rolling it into an IRA, think about doing that instead of taking the lump sum. If you're younger than 59 and a half and you take that lump sum out, you could be looking at paying income tax on that amount and a 10% penalty. Can you say, ouch? Okay, we've run out of time for today. If you have questions for the show, email us at podcast, which is plural, podcast at xmlfg.com. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This is Eric Whiteman, and this has been Common Sense Investor. listen to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. 
No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.